Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor Dustin is here with Steve Prudian, and today, today we're talking about a word that is rarely, if ever, talked about in most Christian circles. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Thank you, Dustin, for asking. How about Dustin? How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good today. Good. It's a good day, and it's a great day to have this conversation, I think. It's a great week to have this conversation, because it's Holy Week. And people actually miss over, actually do not even acknowledge that this word exists. However, yep. however, it has the acknowledgement from heaven itself mm-hmm. that it does exist. Oh, sure it does. And what's that word we're talking about today? Slay. Slay is the word we're talking today, and no, we're not talking about Santa's mode of transportation. <laughs> Good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Uh, you came across this in your study of Job. That's right. Is, is that's where the, this... That, that's the next Sunday lesson. Yep. It's Job 13. Job 13. And this verse, this verse stands out because it's mm-hmm. actually an instruction and a testimony to us who are alive and face the struggles of life. Right. Would you like me to read the portion of the verse? Yes, please. One of the things I'm going to read is many versions use different words for the word that was originally intended. But without the word that was originally intended, it loses its significance. Right. Okay. Words are very important if to you, for you to understand their meaning, but then you can find not only the meaning of the word, but you also need to find the depth of what that word means. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. In Job 13, verse 15. Okay. Most people who know Job, they don't even know where this saying comes from, but they've heard this saying before. And the famous saying is, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Or a derivative thereof. Right. But a lot of people do not have knowledge of the book of Job. But they know it's in the Bible. They do. Or maybe it's just a saying that has been said and they don't know its origin. Today... In the effort to have people read the Bible mm-hmm. and to understand the Bible and for the Bible to flow more in line with the way Americans and English-speaking people think, a lot of the versions have changed that verse by changing the word. Yes, they have. And that word for slay is this. Here's one version. Okay. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Do you see the weakness in that particular translation versus the standby, which is the King James? What, is, what words 
have lost their depth and their meaning. Okay, well, in this, in that particular translation, okay, so first of all, in the King James, you're looking at, though he slay me, okay? That's the, that's the first phrase there, and that is, that is a definite. That's the condition. That is, that is a definite. That is absolutely happening as Job's statement is presenting. That is what happens. And then he, he follows that up with another statement, yet I will trust. Yet I will trust. The other translation gets rid of the definitive, God might kill me. Okay, he might, not he is, he might, and then digs in, and then, and then the word kill and slay, and you and I have already talked about this, and uh, I agree with you 100%. There's just a different definition to those words. Different depth to those words. One different, sha- different understanding. Yeah, one is shallow, one is shocking. Right. And then, okay, I'm... The way the second part of that is translated, I don't like it all. Why? I don't like it at all. Well, first which, of all... Which, which version? Old or new? The new one. The, the second part. The second version that you read. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. We actually have to think about that. I don't like the way it's written because in order to understand it the right way, I've got to stop and think about it. If I'm not stopping to think about it, I could very easily misunderstand that. Looks very iffy to me. Right. There are other translations that do it a little bit better. Right? And again... We lose, we lose the definitive. Even if he kills me, we lost the definitive, right? I will hope in him. Okay, at least we got the second half back. Question for you. Yes. What is the semantical difference between the word hope and trust? What is a hope? Well, yeah, a hope is a desire for something in the future. Maybe a wish? A wish is another word. Um, I do know that for a, lot of, for a lot of the biblical use, the hope is a much more assured thing than hope is commonly used in the English language which is great if you're a biblical scholar. You're going to read that, and you're going to understand that hope and trust are much more synonymous in the mind of the guy who's interpreting the original manuscript, the Hebrew, into the English. But as your average English reader, you don't know that. You don't know that there is much that the biblical word and the definition for the biblical hope is a lot more a lot more in line with a trusting faith than a wish 
So thank you for pointing that out because I'm reading the Bible. I'm in Bible mode. So I read hope differently. When I read hope in the newspaper, I don't think about that trusting faith. Do you know what the word trust means in our vocabulary today? To put your faith in something, to believe in it. What is the response of trust? Not sure where you're going. Help me out. If you put your money in a bank that's called a trust. Okay. What are your expectations? That when I need my money, it's going to be there. You're expecting them to do what you expect them to do because that's their business of keeping your money or maybe your life Mm -hmm. or your future safe. Yep. Okay. And providing you that safety Mm -hmm. when you need it. Right. So now, do you put your money into the bank called Hope? I hope it's there when I need it. Do you put your do you put your faith in a God that you can trust or do you put your faith in a God that you can hope? Well, you're right. You're going to use trust. You're going to you're going to put it in the in the bank you trust, not in the bank you hope. Can trust, can your trust be conditional? Sure. How do you think trust can be conditional? Uh, Trust is conditional because there's a pattern built up. Trust is built over time. It's not usually instantaneous. Usually there's a pattern of, I expect this is going to happen, and that's what happens. Called earned trust? Yeah, sure. Earned trust, okay. Yep. How about earned hope? No. No, no earned hope. (laughs) No, I can wish for whatever I want, whenever I want, whyever I want. So do you think it's more important to put your trust in God or put your hope in God? No, trust. Okay. Since we're playing with words, love playing with words. Uh Uh-huh. The English language is great that way. If I use the word trust, yes, and I jump over to the New Testament, mm-hmm. and I want to use the word that the New Testament is going to use that is as strong as the word trust, what would that word be? Faith. Faith. Yep. Exactly. Well, now that we've brought that word up. Okay. Okay. Let's get a definition of faith. All right. What's your definition of faith? I trust in the word of he who gave it will be true. Mm -hmm. And because he is true and his word is true, I can exercise my belief, my faith in truth because he is true. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, I would probably define faith as 
trusting in that which I do not or cannot fully understand or fully know. Well, some people would say that faith basically is that old thing about um, substance of things hoped for. Okay. Okay, but the evidence of things not seen. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with that one word. Right. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. I I like the substance, mm -hmm. but the question is, is what am I hoping for? Okay. Mm -hmm. I would have the substance of him who I trust in. All right. Okay. But yeah, I don't have all of the evidence, okay, of the things because I haven't seen everything. Right. I know him, but I haven't seen him. But the question is, is do I have faith when I haven't seen him? Oh, absolutely. What did Jesus say about that? He says, he blessed said, are you right. who, yeah. blessed of you what? Who believed and have seen, but more blessed are you who have not seen and yet believed. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. But the word slay is the word we're focusing on because of the fact that we just minimize the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We just says, ah, oh, too bad. They killed the Son of God. More than that. So we need to get into the word slain. I'd like to have you take a look at what the angels have to say about what Jesus went through in Revelation. Would you read that, Dustin? Okay, Revelation 5, 9. Because we're coming down to this. Uh-huh. Okay? Yep. Isn't it interesting that we have the future in our hands, that we can see what it is that the very angels of God will say in the future before they have even said it? It's it's pretty amazing. It really is. That's actually one of the things that I love about John's Revelation is that it gives us the future. Mm-hmm. You don't have so. to bet on it because you already know the you already know the outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so I've got New King James on here. Is what I'm looking at. And I'm going to start with I'm going to start with verse eight. Okay. Because I I like the lead up to it. That it gives just, that gives that gives you the background to the statement. Right. Now, when he had taken the scroll, Jesus has the scroll. Jesus takes the scroll. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders. Remember, we're in the throne room in Revelation. They fell down before the Lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Just killed? Nope. Not just killed, slain. And let's talk about what that yep. looks like. I'm going to, and I'm going to go through, I've got six different versions. 
I want to say one more thing before you get into the versions. Okay. You, you missed another disputable truth. What's that? Who is present in that verse you're reading? Who is present? Who are the characters? Who are the characters? Well, Who? you're in the you're in God's throne room. Yes, that's the place. Right. So yes. God's there. People need to listen to this because people just blow right by this and they don't see what's going on. Okay. Okay. You're in God's throne room. In okay. God's throne room. What's the setting? God's throne. Christ has the he's he's got the scroll. With Why the does he seal. have it? Why does Christ have this piece of paper? Because he's the one that paid the redeeming price. He's the only one who's worthy to open the scroll. Right. Because of what he did. Because of his redeeming price. And that's a conversation for another day. Keep, keep going. Exactly what keep, the scroll is. That's a conversation for another day. Keep going. Okay, so you've got the four living creatures. Okay. I'm okay. not concerned about them. Okay. You've got the 24 elders. Ah! 24. Who are they? Who are they? I'm Personally, I'm unclear about it. I have an idea. But... But there's not there's not clear scriptural reference to exactly who those twenty four guys are. The twelve disciples and the twelve elders of each tribe of Israel. That is the general assumption. Right. Yep. But what do they both have in common? Aside from the number. Aside from the number, what do they all have in common? I guess I don't know. They all died. Oh. They were oh, all okay. human. They all came from the past. But where are they being seen? In the future. Where at? In the throne room. In now heaven. Th now, this is interesting, okay? Okay. If people die, and they go in the ground, and they have to wait to get to heaven, how do these guys... Get an exemption. Get a get a free ticket to go past that, because they're there. But who else is there? I can see why these would be there. They may might have some worth, but who else is there in this scene? There's some other humans there in this. There's scene. some other. There's some other humans there in the scene. Where yes. are you? Where are you seeing those? Because I see the bowls of incense, which are the prayers. You talked about the martyrs under the altar. Oh, that's not until that's not until he breaks a couple of seals. The prayers of the saints. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Is that what you're referring to? You just read the martyrs were under the altar. What is a martyr? Excuse the excuse the, the lost, in, lost in translation here. Okay. In Boston, okay. we call them martyrs. You might call them something else. Okay. This, you're talking about the saints. Mm-hmm. Where do they come from? Well, we're the saints. We're the saints. But in this picture, where have they come from? Why are they called martyrs? Well, the martyrs and 
I think you I I think you're in a different spot. You're remembering in a different spot because later when um I forget which seal it is. I can look it up here. The seven seals. Um Yeah, when he opened the fifth seal, this is Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered for the word of God and the testimony they had given. Good, but where are they? They're under the altar in the throne room. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Exactly. You're exactly declaring what the word of God says. Right. So what is this thing about soul sleep? Some faiths, Christian faiths. I thought believe. we were talking about slain here. We are. Okay. <laughs> but this this is a point. You, you've read this, but the thing is, is that a lot of people deny the fact that when a person dies who is a Christian or is declared righteous or believes in God, Old Testament or New Testament, okay, okay. that what they do is when they die, they go into the grave and they got to wait for the resurrection. Their soul goes to sleep with their body. There is no ascent into heaven, but right there, you actually have characters that are visible. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to argue with you. Do you know what that all represents? What does that all represent? It all represents what they're declaring that Jesus was slain for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, he was. You know what? There may be some martyrs. There may be some elders. There would not be any disciples. If Jesus wasn't slain and resurrected, which is what this week is all about. Yes, it is. Okay. But the thing is, is that in many cases, we just talk about his crucifixion, offering himself up as a matter of maybe trivial fact. We don't put the grave importance on the slaying of Jesus, the torture of Jesus, the pain of Jesus, the bleeding of Jesus. We don't talk about that, okay? We don't want to talk about that. That's ugly, okay? It's uncomfortable. It's scary. It makes us squirm. It does. When, when we think about the price that he paid, okay, to take that punishment, that we should be taking that punishment— Right. We don't want to admit that we should be taking that kind of punishment. No, we really don't. We like God is good, God is great. Mm-hmm. That's what we like. God is good, God is great. Of course we do. Who doesn't like God is good, God is great? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to suffering... Well, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to talk about suffering. But yet... In our discussion just now, we talked about a group of Christians who, is recogn- who are recognized for their suffering. And what are they called? The martyrs. And where are they at? They're in the throne room, under where? the altar. Under the altar. Think about that. What is an altar? An altar is a place of sacrifice. And where are they found? Where are they located? They're under it. Why? Because they're... Being protected by it, maybe. Because they were the sacrifice. They in sac- a way. They sacrificed their lives in order to verify the belief in the Jesus that we have this coming week that we worship mm-hmm. on an everyday basis. Right. They 
they gave up their lives to advance the gospel. Right. right. They are the evidence of the sacrifice and rightly belong under the altar. Mm-hmm. Because not only was Jesus slain on a cross, the martyrs were also brutally slain. But God has honored them by putting him in the rightful place by the altar. Jesus was a lamb that was slain. Mm-hmm. And the martyrs are types of lambs that are slain. Because what are we called in the Bible? What is a Christian referred to in the Bible? A saint. Who are also re- referred to as lambs. Mm-hmm. Who are sheep. Yep, we're okay? sheep. Yep. And the Bible talks about, in another phraseology, lambs being led to the... To the slaughter. For what reason? Because of their belief mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Okay. We haven't gotten very far, but let's continue. Yeah, let's... <laughs> We'll, we'll get back on track here. We'll go back to this paper. Okay, so I was just going to bring up the different text that I have because, like I said, I've got six different translations up. And looking at the difference of them, I see two different words used. One of them is slain, and the other one is slaughtered. And those have very different connotations for me. And maybe it's just me, or maybe not. I guess I don't know, because this isn't a conversation that you have with people. You don't go around discussing terms like this, usually. Some, um, some people are slain, and some people end up going to the slaughterhouse. Well, this is, you know... Talking specifically, Jesus, you are worthy to open the scroll because you were slain, slain, because you were slaughtered. Okay. And I think where I get the different connotation is just the just the visual graphic of it. I don't think either one of them is necessarily more right than the other. Because a lamb a sacrificial lamb that is going to be slaughtered is usually quiet, docile. It's, it's, is, brought, it's brought into a place. Death is painless. And its death is relatively painless. Mm-hmm. Killed quickly. And with then, a certain method. With a certain method. Right. Killed very, very quickly, very cleanly in those kind of terms, and very little discomfort, very little pain. Not slain. Not slain. Not slain. Whereas Still a sacrifice, but not slain. Still a sacrifice, but not slain. Whereas slain, like we've talked about off, off tape here, we've talked about the difference between slain and the different words that are being used, um, especially in the Job passage. But... Slain means, basically means to be killed a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. So... Did Jesus, was Jesus killed a little bit at a time? 
Yes. He was killed a little bit at a time. Now, it's quicker. I mean, Job is talking about being killed a little bit at a time. He, he lost his family. He lost his servants. He lost all of his stuff, and he lost his health. And now he's apparently he's lost his friends, too. You know, it's just a little bit at a time. Lost his he's, following? He's got... <laughs> yeah, he's got... Everything has just been one at a time stripped away from him. It it all just keeps taken away and take this away, take this away, take this away. Everything but his life at this point has been taken away. Who was Job's Judas? Do I have to pick one of the friends? I mean, they're kind of all are. Who? To me, have you think back to me? Who was? Because only Job is a type of Jesus. Right. Okay. Who was Job's Judas? Well, the most recent guy we've talked about is Zophar, but somehow I don't think that's the right answer here. I don't know, Steve. Help me out. Job's Judas is the one who says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Ah. And who's his Judas? That would be his wife. Okay. The one who's his wife. And Jesus said, okay, the one that I put my sup into, okay, the one that I dip my body into my blood and I hand it to, Mm -hmm. he will betray me. Yep. Job's Judas was his wife. Judas's Judas was Iscariot. Yep. Yep. So starting, starting right at that moment, the first thing is taken from Jesus. Judas. Because Judas takes the bread that's been dipped, eats it, and then the devil takes over. And Not the case. Not the case. Judas already made the deal with the Pharisees the chapter before this. Well, that, Jesus tells him, go do what you must do. Right, because he already cut the deal. Right. And so he's, he's going to do what he's going to do. Right? He's going to fulfill this idea that the devil's implanted in his head that in order to get Jesus to take that warrior king messiah role that they're expecting from a misunderstanding of the reading of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So he thinks that in order to make everything He's, excel- he's, he's trying he's trying to accelerate that's right he's trying to accelerate the situation and basically force Jesus hand to take this mm-hmm. role and to step up in this role he doesn't realize that the suffering servant has to come first so he wants he's, he's actually he's actually accelerating a different part of the plan but he's right on point with where Jesus wants it to be so he, he wants Jesus to go from being teacher and prophet to being king and warrior. Right. And he just doesn't understand. It's the it's a misinterpretation of Isaiah and Zechariah and Ezekiel and Dan, you know, all the all the messianic prophecies. So um 
he's going to do that. And that's the first thing that's stripped away. And then things keep going. Peter stands up and says, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be, you're going to be stripped away too. You're going to deny me three times. They go into the garden. He brings the, his closest friends with him to the spot where he's going to pray. Stay up and pray with me. And they're stripped away. They keep falling asleep. It keeps getting pulled away. When he's arrested, they all flee. Do you understand what, was play, what forces were playing at that point in time? I think so. Ever hear of a thing called the spirit of heaviness? Mm-hmm. They couldn't stay awake because the spirit of heaviness, the spirit of heaviness was on Jesus, too. It was. But right. the spirit of heaviness, heaviness actually worked to prohibit mm-hmm. the disciples from praying. Yeah, they knew. Jesus told them he's leaving. They don't really understand what's going on, but they know that their time with Jesus is at an end. They're grieving. Mm-hmm. So this isn't this isn't just fatigue. It's been a long day. I can't keep my eyes open. That's grie- that's you, not you, what it if is. If you grieve, do you go to sleep easily? Sometimes. Usually, you're too wound up to go to sleep if you're grieving, unless you're totally exhausted. But this just started. This is only a matter of hours. Right. Same day. Same evening. Well, they've been. Jesus has been telling them that he's going away for a while. But so, but that's just another, that's just another stripping away. Mm-hmm. And then he's brought before the council and he's interrogated and he's ridiculed. And it just, his humanity is just eviscerated. It's being slain. It's being slain. It's he's being, being slain. slain. He's, he is dying. Did you read some of the l- definitions of the word slay? I did. It gives you a better understanding what's going on when you understand the defining of the word. Right. So all these things are happening, and this is before he even gets to Pilate. Mm-hmm. And what does Pilate do? Pilate says, no, we can't—there's not enough here. We can't kill him. You know, and he, and he thinks to—he comes up with a pretty good plan. I'm going to have him flailed. And— if you've seen the passion, you understand what's going on here. If you haven't seen the passion and you've got a little bit of a strong stomach and you don't wince. Most people have no idea how those implements were constructed. Right. If you know how those implements are constructed, right. it'll literally make you sick. Yeah, and we don't need to get into the details right. here, but... If you've seen it, you understand. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it for anybody. It's just, it is such a powerful it's graphic. vision. Graphic. It is very graphic. That there is a warning there. It is very graphic, and but it's cr- all and cruel and powerful. It, you, it really gives. You call it powerful. I call it evil. Well, if we want to fully understand or better understand what Jesus went through. I think it's a, I think it's a powerful portrayal of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so he goes through that and now and he's mocked with the robe and the crown of thorns and he's beaten spit upon beaten yeah all of these different things they're just stripping away his humanity piece by piece by piece and he's being made fun of mocked mm-hmm. yep and all of that and so now they still want him killed that's not good enough. So the slaying continues. Now he has to carry his own cross across town and up a hill. And at this point, he is near extanguination, which is dying just from blood loss. He's been brutalized so badly. He has no strength. The Roman guards pull somebody out of the crowd to help him carry his cross to the point where they're going to nail him to it. They're going to put a sign over his head that is meant to mock him, but also rightly proclaims him as who he is, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then while he's up on the cross, he's mocked even by the other guys that are being crucified. Or rather, one of them. Insult to injury? <laughs> yeah. So it, it just keeps going piece by piece by piece. Now, it's a day. So we don't always stop to break that down, but it's little bit by little bit by little bit throughout this entire, through probably, what, 12 or 15 hours from his arrest Mm -hmm. to being on the cross. And then the worst part of it comes. God turns and turns his face and removes all grace and removes all mercy from Jesus. So Jesus is now existing on the cross as the embodiment of our sin. And at this moment, he receives the worst part of that punishment. He's existing completely outside of the grace of God. He has no humanity left. I heard that Jesus' time on the cross was three hours. Yep. So do you know what time his crucifixion started? Uh, If I remember correctly, it started at noon. It started in the hottest period of the day, the greatest time of dehydration, Mm -hmm. another form of the slaying. Yep. The reason the the crucifixion for everyone that was being crucified that day had to end at 3 o'clock. Do you know what the reason was? Why 3 o'clock? Because at 3 o'clock, they broke the bones of the other two. But why 3 o'clock? Well, it's a Roman thing, so I would assume it doesn't have anything to do with the Passover and Sabbath. It has a lot to do with the Sabbath. Well, I know... I know Jesus not hanging there on the Sabbath was had a for lot them, to do with it. For yeah. him. But the, underst- the understanding is, is, is that they had three hours before it was six o'clock. 
Mm-hmm. At 6 o'clock, everything had to be finished. Right. What had to be finished is Jesus had to be taken down off the cross, and he had to go through the embalming process. Yep. And he had to be laid in a tomb, mm-hmm. and that tomb had to be sealed yep. all before 6 o'clock. Right. Because at 6 o'clock is the official start of the Sabbath, mm-hmm. and the Pharisees had to be satisfied yep. that the tomb was sealed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so if, they, even if, as, they don't, if they don't have... If they don't have the victims down off of the crosses before six o'clock, they don't come down until the day after. Even his, even in death, he was being slain mm-hmm. because his burial was being rushed. Yep. And it couldn't be completed. Which is why on the day after the Sabbath, mm-hmm. the women went to the tomb to properly anoint him for burial. Did you know that the women had to actually go out to the marketplace before the Sabbath started to buy the spices that they were going to anoint Jesus' body with? You know, I guess I never thought about it, but it makes sense. But the thing is, is they couldn't do it the next day. They ran out of time. It was all about time. Yep. So they had to come the next day after the Sabbath was over, mm-hmm. which is what we call what? Easter. We call it, They call some people call it Easter. Easter, Okay, we'll yeah. call it Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. Or Resurrection Day. Yep. Because in, in rightful form, we should not give the name of that day and call it Sunday because the Romans named Saturday after the god of Saturn. Right. And they named Sunday after the god of the sun. Okay. So we should not give the god Saturn or the god, the sun god, credit. We should call it the day of resurrection. Okay. Okay. And the Jews have a different name for that particular day. I believe it. I was talking to someone just last week, and I said... Which calendar do you follow as far as the crucifixion of Christ? Mm-hmm. And the person says, well, we only have one calendar. I says, no. I says, there's four calendars in the world. Mm-hmm. I says, there's one official calendar. And I says, and it says that we're in the year 5,759. I says, that's called the Jewish calendar because mm-hmm. they would not adopt Julius Caesar's calendar. Correct. I says, and then there's a religious calendar mm-hmm. that was um, that was um, commissioned by a person by the name of Saint Gregory called the Gregorian calendar. Uh-huh. And f- a few people in the world follow it. And I says, and then there's also another very ancient calendar that pretty much only one nation follows, and that's the Chinese calendar. Mm-hmm. I says, but I says, as a matter of semantics, what day is it? Since all the calendars are different, what day is it? 
And okay, no the, resurrection day. And the answer was unknown on what day it was. Mm-hmm. However, if you go to, since Jesus was a Jew, in Jerusalem, uh-huh. okay, let's say we use the Jewish calendar. Okay. Okay. If we use the Jewish calendar, what day is it? Well, we got one thing right. We got the numerical part of it right. Right. It's the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week. But it's interesting, under the Julian calendar, when the Julius Caesar has, it's not the first day of the week. Monday, which means one, is the first day of the week. So we got a little bit of, of trivial discrepancy here that nobody's wanted to resolve. At another point in time, Dustin, I will sit down and I will go through you the dating of the Jewish calendar to show you what day really was in the Jewish calendar on what happened to Jesus. Jewish, not Roman. Okay? All right. And where that puts Jesus on a certain day, Jewish day, not a Roman day. It, All right. It is pretty interesting study, but it's rather detailed. I look, I look forward to it. But it's rather I, detailed. A little bit more detailed than we can get into right now. Right. I think we ought right. to talk about these definitions here. All right. Let's talk about the definitions. Okay. The word slay. Yes. When I thought of the word slay, I was thinking slaying a dragon. Okay. Okay. And Jesus came to slay the dragon. Right. So Jesus is a dragon slayer. Right. Has Jesus slain the dragon? Not yet. Not yet. What has Jesus done? He conquered death. He conquered death. Okay. But his goal, his ultimate goal is to to slay the dragon. Slay the dragon. Right. Because the dragon is what? The devil. He's the devil. And what does he feast upon? Us. Death of the saints. That's what he feasts upon. So Jesus okay. has to slay the one who feasts upon the death of the saints. But let's okay. let's take a look at this. Okay, I wrote this down. All right. Slay. To kill, take away their life of someone with great deliberate delight or amusement with violence in exceptional torturous death. Who would think that Jesus, the Son of God, would be subject to those conditions. But yet, the very history tells us he was. Right. And he went willingly. Nobody took anything from him. Everything might have been stripped away, but everything that was stripped away, everything that he gave, he gave willingly and knowingly. Take a look at the next one, Dustin. You read that one. All right, to slay is a present tense active verb of violent and cruel intent. It is also a transition leading to death action. And what's in parentheses? What are Jesus and other believers have experienced? Not all, but some. Many, but not all, for sure. Um, Yeah, that's... I think it's interesting in that in that definition the transition leading to a death action so slaying isn't actually the killing killing is Sla- easy 
You could shoot a person, he's dead. Relatively no suffering. Quick and easy. Just like, well, like... Not yeah. quick and easy slaying. No, not quick and easy. Drawn out. Vile. Another word for slaying, and I mentioned it in our talking, okay. is to be bled out. Right. And what do they do with a sacrifice on the altar? They bleed it out. They bleed it out. And yeah. Jesus was... The sacrifice. He shed his blood. He bled out mm-hmm. to cover our sins. Right. So now, the word slaying is more appropriate than the world, than the word killed. It's oh, absolutely. E- it's even more significant than the word crucified. I would, I would maybe agree with that. Because when you think of the word crucified, define it. Uh, being nailed to a cross and hanging there until dead. With the other two criminals treated the same way as Jesus was before they got hung on the cross. Not even remotely. That's why they had to have their legs broken. So of the three, which was slain? Jesus was. Jesus was slain. Right. In the place that they put the crosses where they actually did the executions. Its name is? Golgotha, the place of the skull. Place of the skull. And that is synonymous with the mountain of death. Mm -hmm. The mountain of death, because the skull is the remains of something that died. Yep. And so Jesus was actually placed on a mountain of death to die. To be slain. Yep. Do you have a different look on who Jesus is with that information? Uh, you yes. <laughs> it's almost um, it's I don't, al- it's almost undefinable. It is. There is. Um, if you have to, there, there, there's a there's a humbling, there's a there's a weightiness. You talked about that heaviness. There's, That's right. There's a heaviness that comes with a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of exactly what Jesus endured in his last twenty four hours. If you let the weight of it sink in, it'll literally leave you breathless. It will. Because it's more than the human mind can really try to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's no possible way we can comprehend. And that's, we can't comprehend everything that he went to before God turned his face away. At that point, there is no precedent for comprehension. There's no way we can ever fully understand, and there's no way we ever will. Because as believers, God has promised us that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But Jesus was forsaken on the cross. He said so. What's the value of a sacrifice now that you know more about his crucifixion? What is the value of it now? 
It's quite simply priceless. But somehow that doesn't seem to cover it. We, you can't put a value on it. It goes beyond awe. It go, if there's a word beyond awe, mm -hmm. it goes beyond that word. Awe doesn't even justify, okay, mm -hmm. the depth of the suffering that Jesus went through for you and for me and for anyone else who would believe in him. Right. But yet we don't, as oftentimes as Christians or even as a church, want to get into the depth of that sacrifice. So what do we owe? Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. So if you're left breathless, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do. If Very you're left so. breathless, now you understand. If you had to be at the scene today to witness his crucifixion, knowing what you know now, how would that affect you? Deeply. It would, it's the only word I can come up with. I would be deeply troubled. I would be deeply moved. I would probably be confused and scared and weeping and honored all at the same time, humbled and just... I can't even I can't even fathom the range of emotion that I would feel. There's a picture we see in the Bible when people are in the presence of God. Mhm. Mm and something that we see in their gesture mm -hmm. gives us a clue. And their gesture is to be prostrate mm -hmm. before God, to fall face down on the floor in worship. Does that make sense? Yeah, infinitely. How does it make sense? He's just worthy of it. And what are you? Completely and totally and utterly unworthy. So what do you do? Do you worship? From your lowest you, position. And you, and you praise. You worship from your lowest position. Mm-hmm. And in the Christian faith... What is our lowest position? At the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross is our lowest position. Mm -hmm. But yet, what do we do? We try to glorify the cross and not the Jesus of the cross. Sometimes. Some, some do. Some, some, know, some know the truth. Yep. And what sets you free? The truth. The truth. And who's the truth? Christ. Is the he cross, is the, the, way is and the, the, cross truth. the truth? The cross is not the truth. The cross is just a tool. Yep. The guy on the cross is the one that said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So. The cross is simply the door. So be careful with symbols mm -hmm. because sometimes people get confused with the symbols. 
for the true and living God. Yep. The Israelites, they had a symbol that they thought they were worshiping God. Pretty good-looking symbol. What was that? Most valuable thing that the Jews owned. You talking about the temple? No. Okay. Temple is the only stone. This is more valuable than the temple. Still exists today. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. That's right. But the Jews mistook the presence of God for that Ark, where God was much bigger than the God of a box. You can't put God in a box. Because mm-hmm. if you could put God in a box, then he wouldn't be in your life and my life today. Right. So, it's Easter, or it's, Resurrection Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday coming up. But it's Sunday Resurrection Day, yep. because we disqualified Easter, we've disqualified Sunday, so it's Resurrection Day. It is Resurrection Day. Right. And the Jesus who was slain for us is alive for us. Yes, Because he is. a slain Jesus would be of no value to us if he didn't come back to life as he said he would. Right. So, because he lives, mm-hmm. what's the rest of the song say? Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, after Sunday. After Sunday. Or Resurrection Day. After Resurrection Day. We can live tomorrow. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. appreciate the fact that Jesus wasn't just killed, but his punishment was a slaying. Yes, it was. We have accompanying verses that we'd be happy to provide to you if if you want them. But, Dustin, I'm going to ask you to pick out of those proof verses that, that revolve around the sacrifice of Jesus, which one do you like the best? Which one do I like Which the best? Which one means the most to you? Uh, well, can I, can I cheat and say a couple of them? You can cheat and say a couple of them. All right. Um, I'm going to start with... I'll, I'll start with um, the Galatians... 220. I've been crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And it's just such a such a powerful reminder that uh, that we've got to turn it over. You know, we can turn our lives over to the author of the universe and let him live through us. And so much more for his kingdom will be accomplished. It's just a great reminder of that. And the other one on the list is I will not be ashamed. What's the rest that's, of the and verse? That's, well, that's, that's Philippians one twenty. I actually... Um, I prefer it out of Romans 116. Say it. Okay. 
For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And it's such a contradiction to talk about the slaying, the torturous, vile violence that was done to Jesus in his crucifixion and to turn around and call that good news. It's such a contradiction, but the word gospel is good news. That's a literal translation of the word gospel from Greek to English is good news. Mm-hmm. And so, especially in this context, to call it good news is just incre- incredibly humbling. It's interesting that when you're doing youth now. Yes. Many years ago when Sylvia and myself were in our 20s and we were doing youth, Mm -hmm. we would say, how to the group, we would say, how do you spell God's spell? How do you spell God's spell? Mm -hmm. Do you know the answer? J-E-S-U-S. That's how you that's how you do God's spell. That's how you do it. <laughs> right. That's how you do it. J-E-S-U-S. You have another yep. one you like in this list? Well, I think I think two is plenty, but I'm gonna read I'm gonna read Philippians 120, which is what you actually had on the list. Uh-huh. I saw that one and I go straight to when I hear the the word the the phrase that I will not be ashamed, my brain goes mm-hmm. instantly to Romans one sixteen. Um, so Philippians one twenty is for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Now that's being written by Paul. Mm-hmm. And what did he go through? Well, his letter to the Philippians is while he's in a Roman prison, or at least under house arrest. I mean, he's he's incarcerated in Rome. He's not a free man. He's experienced the fullness of life, and he's experienced utter poverty. And in his letter to the Philippians, he is just trying to exhort them to trust in God in and above all things. There's a sideline here that a lot of people don't know about. And what's that? Only people who have a further education Mm -hmm. and have physically been to the place called Philippi would understand that Paul was placed in a jail in Philippi as well. Really? And the believers who were in Philippi at that time know about this jail. Mm -hmm. I've been in this jail. Have you? Oh, yes. Okay. That's another story. Of course. But in this jail, there is no way in and there's no way out. You can't escape. You can't break in. You can't break out. Interesting. This jail is a, actually 
a great big hole in the ground, and you can't see to the bottom of it. It's so dark. Hmm. So to be put into this jail, you have to be lowered in a rope to the floor of this cave mm -hmm. that is cavernous. And once you're lowered in the rope, whoever the jailer or the guide is, he will lock you up in one of the caverns. And there you stay without light, hmm. in complete darkness, in damp dankness, even though it's an arid area. Damp dankness in an arid area, okay, mm -hmm. with darkness that you do not know what it is that's crawling over you, whether it be bug or reptile. And this is your imprisonment. So now, if you understand what Paul went through and the Philippians, who he's writing to from a prison in Rome, which was a whole lot nicer than this hole in the middle of the earth. Yep. Okay? He has got not only their attention, but also their respect. Right. All right, so Steve, what are your one or two on this list? The hardest one for me to accept. Okay. But the truest one for me to accept is the fact that if Colossians 2, 20, I have just a little excerpt of the meaning of it, but what it says is that if you die with Christ, you can be hurt, but you can't be offended. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like no, that. No, you don't like that because it will happen, okay? You will get hurt, okay, because you have died in Christ, mm -hmm. okay? But it's okay, to be, it's okay to be hurt. It is okay to be hurt. Okay, but the thing is is that you can't take it as an offense. Interesting. Because if you take it as an offense— what does that lead to? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You mm -hmm. want to make a bet? I'm not taking that bet. Usually offense leads to another offense. Generally, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is because of the fact that if we've died with Christ, he's taking our hurt upon himself. Okay, he's taken our offense upon himself. What right? I have no right. No, I don't. So what happens, especially in ministry, Dustin, it's very easy to be misunderstood mm -hmm. in ministry. I want to clarify something right now because it's bothered me. I explained it to you last week. But it has not been explained to others. Okay. Remember you asked me why it is that during worship, even though I'm a proponent of active worship, raising of hands being the least of it, okay? Okay. It, I find it ironic that we're willing to clap, clap, but we're not willing to rise. Okay. But you had asked me why I didn't. 
I did. Yep. And I told you that as much as I would like to, my training says that if I can, even though I have the liberty and the right to do it, but it becomes a stumbling block to others because they don't understand. The training, the teaching is, is that we should be, we should refrain from it until others understand the liberty we have in it. And the problem is, is, is that our body has not been brought forth to understand the scriptural importance of what's classified as the next step of active worship. Part of okay. raising hams is a next step of active worship. At one time, if you look in the Word of God, it was part of active worship. Right. But it has been somewhere discouraged because of abuse. And you have to admit that there has been some abuse with well, some forms of active worship. Well, maybe it, maybe it was abused, but maybe it was misunderstood or um, not what somebody wanted to see culturally or personally or somewhat of that. There, what's it? We don't we don't know exactly why it, okay. it's not commonplace y like yes, it had been. Yes, we do. Okay, would you like to know the reasoning? I think we are way out of time for that. Okay. Well, anyway, oftentimes raising of hands is construed with the questionable practice of speaking in tongues, gifts of knowledge, and slain in the Spirit. So subsequently, because of its association, it is not practiced in many circles. Okay. All right. Well, I think I can accept that. I just wanted to clear that up. All right. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you very much, Steve. All right. Um, I think that does it for this particular topic. So thank you very much for coming in.